Last Sunday we had a wonderful celebration of what's called the Feast of Pentecost, where we focused on the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the church blossomed at that point. And today, which, which is traditional in the church calendar, is a reflection on, and you probably heard this in the readings, you may have heard it in the collect, a focus on the Trinity. They call this Trinity Sunday. And the Trinity is known as one of the great doctrines of the church. And that's not a term that we use very often in the church. It's not a term that we use very often in our daily speech. It's a term really that has fallen into disuse because of what people take as connotation from the word doctrine. That it's kind of a heavy word. It's kind of almost a legal word. When really the term doctrine really means true belief or true principle of belief. In fact, you heard in the collect this true faith. The one true faith. Jesus was big on truth. He did refer to himself as the truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the truth. He said in the upper room to his, to his apostles, I will send you the Spirit that will lead you, that will guide you into all truth. The Spirit of truth that the world cannot receive because the world doesn't know Him. So truth was big with Jesus. You heard in the epistle the Keith read. The reference that Paul talked about, the truth. Jesus said, my word is truth. Truth is obviously a big, a big and important aspect of who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, what Jesus brought, and what Jesus wants us to know. Truth when it comes to who he is and what the gospel is about and how we're called to live and what holiness really is all about, and what love looks like. There's so many aspects to who we are meant to be as Christians and how we are meant to live as Christians that regard truth. And there's so many false ways out there. And see, part of the problem today is you hear people talk about, well, your truth and my truth that directly contradict each other, and that can't be. That's just not reality. And that's why truth was so important to Jesus. And one of the truths or doctrines that comes across loud and clear in Scripture is this doctrine of the Trinity. Now, Jesus never uses the term Trinity. In fact, Scripture never uses the term Trinity. And yet it's one of the doctrines or truths of Scripture about what Scripture teaches. That there are these three persons in one God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's one of the last phrases that Jesus uses before he departs this earth. Go, therefore, and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would teach, on the one hand, that there is one God 
which is a reflection of what's called the Shema in the Old Testament, the Hebrew belief. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Paul would say, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Jesus would talk about the worship of the one true God in John chapter 4. And he would repeat and talk about worshiping God, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the most important commandment. So Jesus talked about this one true God. And yet there's reference over and over again to what Jesus would talk about as, first and foremost, the Father. When he referred to God, he referred to God as Father. But he himself was the Messiah. The Lord at one point would say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, in reference to the Messiah. He would allow Thomas to call him my Lord and my God. He would talk about the Holy Spirit as being God. So you get this impression, especially at this last moment, this reading we have in Matthew 28, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that there are these three persons in one God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you hear stuff like this, your mind kind of goes, right? It's very complex for our finite minds to comprehend. But that's understandable. Because you're talking about an infinite God. And our minds are finite. Why are we surprised sometimes when we come across these doctrines that are very complex and our minds can't comprehend it? So we try to come up with these ideas to explain it because for many Christians, they just throw it out. They just say, well, since I can't understand it, it must not be true, or they doubt it. That's Christians, let alone other religions. Other religions just say, well, that's, we, we can't buy that at all. But Christians, for example, try to come up with these clever ideas, for example, like the symbol of a triangle, the symbol of a triangle that you will sometimes see in reference to God. You've got three angles or three sides and one geometric shape. And that is a symbol for God. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but some people would use that as a reference or a symbol for God. Because of the three angles or the three sides and one shape. That kind of makes sense for some people, especially if you're into that. But I just want you to think about it in a little different vein. And what I mean by that is you will not be able to, I will not be able to fully comprehend the whole notion and idea of Trinity. Of God, three persons in one God. Because we are finite and our minds are finite. Just to put it in perspective for you so that you begin to ease up on yourself in terms of, I've got to understand this if it's true, okay? Do you really understand everything you do? You are a finite being. Have you ever said, why did I do that? You don't even understand yourself. How can you comprehend an infinite Trinitarian God and you can't understand yourself? What about, if you're married, what about 
someone in your house that you're married to. Why did you do that? I don't understand you. No kidding. And they don't understand you either. I just want to put it in perspective. If we can't understand another person, a finite person, if we can't understand ourselves, if we don't know why we do what we do, why do we think we're going to comprehend an infinite, almighty, everlasting God? Fully and completely. Now, that doesn't mean that we give up seeking to know him or seeking to love him more. Just like I haven't given up on seeking to know and to love my wife more, even though she's very complex. (laughs) And she would probably say the same thing about me. That's the reality. So we come to this point saying, okay, so there's this trinity. What can we know about him kind of in basic form? Well, first of all, if there's three persons in one God, one of the first ideas we have is that there's community in God himself. In his essence, he is so intimate that there is this essential community to, to who he is. There's love. Well, that should tell us something about our relationship with him and what we are meant to be as the body of Christ. So many people have this understanding it's just me and God. And that is so missing the point, which is why Jesus immediately formed a community around himself, which is why Scripture talks about the body of Christ. There's a connectedness that's meant to happen as the church to him, to each other. And a growing connectedness of love, community, to him, to each other. That we talk about holy, holy, holy is the Lord, thrice holy. Just like we say in the creed, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in God the Holy Spirit. We say that every Sunday. We also say holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is supremely holy. Three persons, infinitely holy. So that should tell us also something about us and the church. We are meant to be a holy people. That God, because he is so complex and so intricate and so pervasive, he's able to be omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent. He is so great and almighty. Over and over again, because he is trinity of persons, He is able to be so almighty and glorious in magnitude. See, instead of being overwhelmed or put off, we should be in awe. This is a great God that we have the opportunity to come to know more and more. 
and not give up on. And when we come to understand the depth of who He is and the depth of His love for us, it becomes a mountaintop experience when you first have that encounter. And I think it's wonderful that Jesus ends his ministry on a mountaintop experience. Don't you? I think that's appropriate. Mountaintop experiences are something we see throughout Scripture. Moses, when he was given the Ten Commandments, mountaintop experience. Elijah, when he defeated the prophets, the false prophets of Baal, mountaintop experience. When Jesus had his transfiguration and his glory was revealed, and we see Moses and Elijah there, mountaintop experience. Over and over again, mountaintop experience is how oftentimes when we encounter Jesus Christ or when we have a renewal of our commitment to the Lord, that's how that's experienced. I experienced the mountaintop experience. Sometimes people will describe their wedding day, their marriage as a mountaintop experience or the birth of a child as a mountaintop experience. But you know what happens when you're on a mountaintop? You got to come down. You always come down. And the apostles were aware of that. We're told at that mountaintop experience, that last encounter with the Lord, and some doubted. Why? Why did some doubt? Because they knew. What was coming? Tomorrow was coming. The now what was coming. I remember when we brought Bethany home from the hospital, our firstborn. I mean, I was so excited to have a child. I love being a parent. And when we got home, it was like, you know, almost like a China doll. Am I going to break her? You know, because they're just so petite and delicate and beautiful and cute and sweet and small. And God gave me a great gift. I don't know how many of you remember this. About 30 years ago, actually it was 31 years ago, there was an earthquake in Mexico City. Remember that? And about uh, 11 days later, they found a lot of babies in the rubble of a hospital, all of them alive. And I thought, thank you, Lord. That shows me that there's not a whole lot I can do to hurt Bethany. I needed that. I needed that. Because we always come down the mountain. There's always going to be struggles and challenges and pain. There's always going to be doubts and questions and challenges. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that they were about to come down the mountain. And so he says what they need to hear as they're coming down the mountain. He reminds them. All authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. He's about to ascend to the Father. He's about to be seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the seat of power and authority. He's gained that position because he went to the cross and died in their place for their sin, showing them the depth of the Father's love. He was totally submissive and obedient to the Father. He won the place of authority that God granted to him that he could now have in their lives because of his love. He has the authority for salvation. He has the authority to show holiness because he walked completely the perfect life in this life. He has the authority of showing what love is like. It is not self-serving. It is self-sacrifice. He has the authority. He has the authority and power over sin and death because not only did he die on a cross, but he rose again. He has the authority. And the question is, does he have the authority in your life? As your Savior and your Lord. Because if He doesn't, you will not understand. Because you still have your own desires competing in your own life for authority. Your own desire to be your own authority. You want to call the shots. You want to say how it is. You don't want to submit to His authority. Or you're listening to what the world says in terms of how you should live and what you should believe. You've never really submitted to his authority. It's all about you or it's all about the world's ways. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And once we understand that, that it's all about his authority. That we're not submitting to the competition of the world or the flesh. He says, now I want you to take on my mission. That's the now what? I lived it with you. I revealed it to you. I want you to take it on now. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what I've been sharing with you. The three years that I walked with you, I want you to take it on. And as he would say in Acts of the Apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we take that seriously here. Jerusalem is right here in Hilton Head. That we need to be witnessing and sharing to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ, our own testimony. What's our Judea? Our Judea might be Ridgeland and Allendale. 
We have people who go to those prisons, share ministry there. Our Samaria might be the people we support at University of South Carolina and Purdue. And our ends of the earth, when we send people to Honduras, Dominican Republic, Tanzania, Belize, we take that seriously. And it's not just about deeds. Jesus didn't say, go and be nice. Jesus said, go and make disciples. It's word and deed. It's bringing people to faith in him. And we need to become more and more effective at doing that. And then he says this wonderful phrase, and lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. That's why he needed to send the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is not confined to just one location. The Holy Spirit can pervade everyone and go everywhere. That's the beauty of the Trinity. Lo, I am with you always. Until we see Him face to face. You know, sometimes people doubt and, and I've heard people even say, where is God or where was God when? I'm blessed with never really asking that or feeling that way. And one reason is, is because, I'll give you an example. I think it's because sometimes people say they don't see God or they don't feel God. There are times that I don't see my wife or feel my wife's hand in mine. I know she's there and I know she loves me. It's real simple. And so if I don't see God or feel God at the moment, I know he's there and I know he loves me. There's no question in my mind. Because I accept that by faith. What do you know for sure, for certain, without question? What do you know? And why? We can say right now that we know the sun's out there shining. We can't see it. We're behind the roof. But we can say we know for sure. You know what? It could have blown up five, six, seven minutes ago. It's true. You don't know that for sure. Probably hasn't, by the way. Somebody's phone would have probably blown up. It could have. 
But whether it has or not, you know what I know for sure? God will always be there. There is no doubt in my mind. I want you to answer the question for yourself. What do you know absolutely for sure, for certain, no matter what? Without question, there's not much. Let me ask a question that's even more more deep. Who do you know? Absolutely and completely. You know every thought in their mind, every word on their lips, everything they've ever done. No one. And so that brings us full circle. It's difficult to know the Trinity. It's difficult to know the Trinity. But what Jesus says, that final time he was with his apostles, is what we need to know. And we can know by faith. Not only can we know it, we can know it with certainty by faith. Who God is. Essentially, He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father who loves us, who sent His Son to die on a cross in our place for our sin. Who modeled what it means to live a holy life. Who shows us what it means to love the Father and love other people. Who sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us and strengthen us and empower us for living. To guide us into all truth. And what He's done for us. To win salvation and eternal life. And He gave us a great commission. To share in His ministry. And that I know for certain, by faith. This world is full of imperfect knowledge. It's full of uncertainty. It's full of doubt. It's full of people telling you what you should believe and how it is. But Jesus, in his final, his final words before he left the earth, tells us what we need to know. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'm with you always. And therefore, share in my life. Share in my ministry. And as the writer to Hebrews says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray.
As I was having my time with the Lord this morning, I was reading out of Andrew Murray's Daily Reader from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Holy Spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Lord God, we thank you on this Trinity Sunday that you seek to reveal yourself to us. As much as we struggle with our limited ability to fully grasp who you are, that, Lord, your desire for us is to know you more and more. to grow in the knowledge and love of you so that we might be transformed. More empowered and enabled to love others. More effective in reaching others. Lord, I pray this day that as we wrestle with as we struggle with our own weakness, our own shortcomings, our own lack of knowledge, that you would cause us to grow in a greater capacity to know and to love you, to know and to love others. And to grow in the ability of carrying out your great commission, your mission on earth, as your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.